Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, I'm Jacqueline Johnson, and this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. This season, we're bringing in leading female powerhouses to take a deep dive into the topics that matter most to you. Technology, money, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it, we're covering it all. Tune in every Wednesday for career, real talk, and BS-free advice from the best in the biz. Ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Don't talk about money. We've all heard this phrase at least once in our lives, but this time we're calling it out. We're kicking off this new decade with more transparency and an open dialogue around money, salaries, and the notion that women are content with what we've been giving, because that is simply not true. In the same way ambition is considered a dirty word, why is it still taboo for women to admit they want money? You can have ambition and a desire to have more funds in the bank. That's not selfish. It's industrious and goal-oriented and important. New research also finds that women aged between 20 to 34 are more likely to leave financial planning to their spouses or significant others. When you consider that women earn less money than men, take more time out of the workforce, and live longer lives, this ultimately sets us back financially. The first step is bridging the confidence gap that's preventing women from taking the financial reins. Today, we hold more economic power than ever before, and we are fully capable of managing our own money. So what do you think, ladies? Are we ready to step into the driver's seat and take a more active role in our financial decisions? I think so. Of course, we know that starting the conversation can be easier said than done. So for this episode of Work Party, I'm sitting down with Divya Gugnani, CEO and co-founder of Wander Beauty. But this isn't her first rodeo. In fact, she's had four other ventures. So it's safe to say she's an experienced entrepreneur and gets managing money and business. In this episode, we also get into her career, the lessons she's learned from building a company from scratch, navigating the male-dominated world of venture capital, and so much more. So let's get right into it. So welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here in Los Angeles, coming to us from New York. So exciting. 
This time of year, weather change, I'm like, it's positive. Yes, yes. It's <laughs> always a good thing. This, this is the time you don't to need an excuse, that's for sure. <laughs> so you are a serial entrepreneur who has co-founded multiple companies. And I want to talk a little bit about that because I think so many times people think that entrepreneurship or calling themselves an entrepreneur means that they've started a successful companies. But it means you can have multiple different companies that you kind of started. But let's go back to the very beginning because you started an investment banking at Goldman Sachs. Tell us about that. Why was that important? How has it informed your entrepreneurial journey? So what's really interesting about that is that I've always been one of those people, when they leave college, when you graduate from college, a lot of people optimize for like, okay, this is my first job out of school. I want to have the best title and like make the most amount of money or compensation and title is so key for college graduates. I was the opposite. So like from the minute I was leaving Cornell, I kept thinking to myself, I'm like, where am I going to get the best experience? I'm the kind of person who optimizes for experience and opportunity as opposed to money and written titles that mean nothing to me. So I was really attracted to Goldman Sachs because I felt like the culture there and the leadership there was so incredibly inspiring, super intelligent, hardworking, driven personalities all in one big building. I was like, this is where I'm going to learn. And so I turned down offers from other investment banks that were obviously offering me a lot more money. And I took the $40,000 a year job at Goldman Sachs. I slept under my desk. I loved every day of it and I would not trade it for the world. I love that. And I think it's very similarly to my career journey. I think Times have really changed with like the new generation of women because I think that I completely relate to your experience. Like I wanted to work at Condé Nast. I did whatever it took to get in that like position and made literally pennies on the dollar. But for you, why was money important? I mean, private equity, venture capital, not a lot of women at that time were going into those fields. So what was that education at Goldman like for you and how has it helped you in now being an entrepreneur? So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. My dad was an entrepreneur and I really feel like business was just a part of my DNA growing up. And so I thought about where can I learn the most about business? So the first step was investment banking because you go to work at an investment bank and you get to work with like at the age of 21, you're meeting Fortune 500 CEOs at Goldman Sachs. Like where are you meeting Fortune 500 CEOs? Nowhere. Not when you're 21 years old. So I got this big bird's eye view of companies, how they operate, how they get built, how they grow, how they sell. Then I wanted to get a layer deeper and that's why I went into private equity. So larger companies, bigger scale, harder to change, slower to move. And so then I was like, I got to get closer. Let's just like every step in my career was just getting closer to the beginning stages of how things launch. And then so I went from investment banking to private equity to venture capital. And for me, it was just this progression of getting earlier and earlier stage to the real nuts and bolts of how companies operate and make decisions. I love that. And so for our listeners who may not be as familiar, can you explain the difference between investment banking, private equity, and venture capital? So an investment banker really acts as an advisor to a company. They're going to advise the company on strategic alternatives. So if the company wants to raise money, an investment banker is going to help them through that process, identify which investors to raise money from and drive them through that. If a company is going to go public in the public markets and have an initial public offering, an IPO, an investment bank is going to guide the company through that process. If a company is going to sell and get acquired by a big global conglomerate, 
an investment bank is going to coach and mentor that company and lead that whole auction process to get the company sold. So investment banks do advisory work, and they work on what we call the sell side. The other side of that is the buy side, which is private equity, which is where you buy companies. And those companies are typically later stage and large businesses. It's private equity. They write big, big checks and write it into big companies. So venture capital is just a stage earlier than all of this, which is just the nuts and bolts of starting. So venture capitalists invest in companies. It could be two people in a garage starting out day one. It could be they haven't started out at all and they have an idea and they're pre-seed. Then there's seed funding. Then there's series A, series B. And so it's the earlier stages of the evolution of a company. The early days of launching, building, and growing is where venture capital supports a business. The more mature stages of growth and expansion are supported by private equity investors. And then advisory work is done by investment banks. Amazing. And so you started your own firm. So you took it one step even further. So can you tell us about that company? Yes. So I actually um, have been angel investing since the early 2000s, so over 20 years of experience investing in companies. And I invested as an institutional investor, obviously, when I was in private equity, when I was in venture. But more importantly, I just like got bitten by the bug to like get involved in the startup landscape. And so I started writing angel investment checks and in 2012, I formalized everything into a fund because I found it just like an easier to have a vehicle. So that I set up Concept to Co to really do that, to partner with companies, help grow them. I also incubated my first company out of there, which is um, Wander Beauty. So the first company in Concept to Co to ever be incubated was Wander Beauty. It was the fourth company that actually started, but first for me to incubate out of my fund. And just in the last 12 to 14 months, I've kind of invested in a lot of brands that you probably would have heard of. So Primary and Kids Clothing, Madison Reed and Hair Color, um, Inkbox and Temporary Tattoos, Inside Weather in Furniture Space, Keeps that deals with chronic conditions, Obey Fitness, Streaming Workouts. So really across the gamut of consumer, and I'm very actively involved in investing in startups. What's up, ladies? Let's take a pause from today's episode to talk about Wander Beauty. In an era of beauty where new products are launching left and right, Wander Beauty is aiming to do the opposite by committing to create fewer, better beauty essentials that streamline your beauty routine. Who doesn't want fewer products in their makeup bag, am I right? Wander Beauty takes it a step further by designing each of their products to multitask for you, providing maximum impact with minimal effort, which I am here for. Their products pull double and sometimes even triple duty, and I'm all for it. One of my personal favorites is the On The Glow Blush and Illuminator. I use it on my cheeks, lips, eyes, and anywhere else that I'm wanting to add a little color and illumination. I can apply it on my bare skin for my lighter makeup days or over a full face of makeup when I'm full glam for an event. I am thrilled to share that for a limited time only, Wander Beauty is offering all of you On The Go Work Party listeners a very special discount. Visit wanderbeauty.com and enter work party at checkout and you'll receive 20% off your entire purchase. All of Wander Beauty's products are co-created with their community and enriched with clean, globally sourced ingredients that work with your skin instead of against it. Your beauty routine should go where you go, whether you're going from desk to dinner, doing your routine at the gym, or masking in flight. Any beauty product that delivers on performance and promises less time at the vanity are a win in my books. This one checks all the boxes. Wander Beauty was created for women with fast-paced lifestyles, which I know all of you are. So what are you waiting for? Simplify your routine, take your beauty beyond the bathroom, and stay gorgeous on the go with Wander Beauty. 
Once again, visit wanderbeauty.com and enter work party at checkout for 20% off your purchase. Bye. So walk me through, I'm so fascinated by all this. Okay, so walk me through, you did all these angel investments, Mm -hmm. starting the fund. What is that difference between being the angel investor versus the fund? Like, what are you providing that's different as an individual versus that? You know, it's really the same, to be honest with you. I just organize my investments in a fund. I have more infrastructure. I have a little bit more of a team. I have people evaluating investments. So it's getting a little bit more breadth and depth than Mm -hmm. just getting me as an investor to kind of help. Um, I find investing really so important for my career as an entrepreneur because I feel like it's peri pursu and it's like it works in concert together. So I invest in other companies and I share my journey. I share my experience of you know, the pitfalls, the thing, the mistakes I've made, the problems I've had, how to build, how to scale, how to grow. But I also invest in companies that, you know, have exceeded my capacity in terms of revenue and have grown way more than I have, have raised tons more capital. And so I'm learning at the same time. And so I think it's this really great symbiosis of having a community of entrepreneurs that can all lean in and talk to each other in the cone of silence. And because I am an entrepreneur, I think that I get a way better look into the company than a typical investor. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. I also angel invest not nearly as much as you do, but been dabbling in that and I have the same experience. So I think that's really wonderful. So Wander Beauty, part of this firm, tell us how that worked. Did you invest your own capital into it? Mm -hmm. Did you bring on VC? How did that whole thing? So I've raised every type of capital you could imagine in the four companies that I've run, but with Wander Beauty, my thought process was initially was to self-fund. And that's always what I recommend to anyone who's starting out a business. I really genuinely feel like, you know, why raise tons of money when you don't really even know if you have a business yet? Try and get that initial product market fit, get some traction, some data, and then raise money to amplify that and grow it. Make sure there is a fit first because one of the things I've learned about money is money can mask a lot of problems. If you throw enough money and marketing behind selling a product or service, anyone will buy it. And that's not really telling you if it's really working and the business is working and the unit economics work. So a lot of this to me is that, you know, the early stages of running and building a business, it's so important to raise money prudently. And that's something I really tell people from day one. So with Wander Beauty, launched out of my living room. I sold my last company prior to this to QVC. I worked there for two and a half years in digital innovation, got a lot of experience with beauty, was incredibly passionate about beauty and wanted to do something in the beauty space. As a career mom with two young kids every day, getting up, getting ready, going to work, I was like a hot mess. And I realized that women today are living their lives in motion And there was no brand that was giving them beauty in motion. Women are doing their beauty beyond the bathroom, and there's no brand that's making it easy for them. So I was like playing strains and automobiles, putting on makeup in the back of an Uber, skincare at the gym. You name it, it was like happening in motion. So we created Wander Beauty to really focus on real women in the context of their real lives and give them, you know, fuss-free, foolproof essentials. And really, Wander Beauty is fewer, better beauty essentials. Fewer because they're multitaskers double-sided components, multi-use formulas. You're going to use one thing that's going to do three things for you. So less is more. 
better because it's all clean beauty. And then essentials, it's like, we're not a hair brand. We're not a skin brand. We're not a color brand. We're just a beauty brand focused on all phases of your beauty routine. So when I was incubating that business, I was like, let's launch with one product. And I used my own money for that. My co-founder, Lindsay, and I said, let's just see if it works. Then we ended up raising angel money. Then we ended up raising venture capital. Then we ended up raising private equity. So I've really been through all the life stages, but I've done it step by step when I felt like the company was ready for the next Amazing. So how much money have you raised to date? Um, Not disclosed, but kind of sub $10 million. Okay, cool. And then, um, so what, I'm like loving all this. I have so many questions for you, (laughs) but okay. So tell us about your co-founder and how you met her. And then I also want to talk about, you've started companies, you sold companies. We kind of glossed over that a little bit. Tell us about Send the Trend and selling that to QVC. And then also your mentality post-sale to go out and be like, okay, let's do it again. Like, cause that's so fascinating. It takes a certain type of brain damage to start four businesses. Literally (laughs) people are like, what's your biggest accomplishment? I'm like, I'm alive. Yeah. I've survived four businesses. Absolutely. That is an accomplishment of itself. And still want to do more. So I met my co-founder Lindsay at a party and I really am a big believer in partnership. And I really always tell people when they're starting businesses to find a co-founder. I know it's great. It's great to be a founder. I have no prejudice against being a solo founder. I do think that personally, for me, I like having a co-founder. So I think that when you are self-aware and you can sit down and make a list of the things that you're great at, and you can sit down and be honest with yourself about the things that you're not great at, you can then identify your weaknesses and really hire around that and hire people and bring people into the pie that can grow your business as Mm. a founder. But with a co-founder, I think it's a different thing because you're going through the journey together. So when I met Lindsay at a party, I was at QVC. I just have a baby. I was nursing. I was drinking a glass of champagne. I was so happy. It was kind of crazy. I literally just had a kid and I was just happy to be out of the house. And I told her, I'm like, I want to do something beauty. I don't know why. And I have like all these ideas. And like, she's like, I love beauty. I'm like, will you come to my house? And we just hung out at my place. I was like, you need to come over because I'm nursing and I can't leave the house. (laughs) And my daughter was in the bassinet and we just like It was that connection. And I knew from day one that my strength was business, finance, operations, product market fit, scaling, growing. Like, I knew that piece. I've never deemed myself to be an incredible creative. And I've never deemed myself to, like, have a great eye. Like, the first thing I've done every time I moved to an apartment is, like, who's going to design this apartment? Like, who is going to come in and do this for me? Like, I know visually what I want, but I'm not great at kind of describing that vision and making that come to life in terms of creative. And she's just got a natural talent for it. And when people naturally have an ability to do something, you should put them in a role where they can harness that talent and build and grow. So the reason our founding partnership works and five years later, we are, you know, sit across from each other in an open floor plan without any offices and communicate daily is because we have complementary skill sets. And that's my biggest piece of advice to people who are starting out a business is that when you're thinking about a co-founder, let that person bring something to the pie that grows the pie, grows the business, makes a bigger opportunity for you as opposed to you doing it alone. And then think about how that's completely complementary. What really doesn't work, and I've seen this in companies I've invested in, co-CEOs, people who co-lead businesses, like, and they both have the same skill set, mm-hmm. you're just stepping on each other's toes all day and the business doesn't get ahead. So I love that advice. Absolutely. And so um, 
tell us about selling the first company. Um, and then I have a million advice questions to ask you about money since you seem to be the expert. So, so, um, selling my first, so I sold my first company and I actually started that company when I was working full time and I had started it and I was doing it nights and weekends and it was a small business and it was auto parts space. And it was the right decision to just move forward because it wasn't in an industry I was passionate about. I kind of fell into the company. My second company was in the culinary space. It was profitable, but it didn't scale. Mm-hmm. And I think you also have to know when you have to pivot and you have to know when things are not working. And so it had an advertorial business model where we had advertising dollars coming in and like the phone would ring and like we get a six-figure check and then the phone wouldn't ring for four weeks and it was painful. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that business was not going to scale and I said, okay, let's now pivot. So I pivoted. I launched Send the Trend. We raised venture capital money from Battery Ventures for that. We sold the company 11 months later. It scaled. It grew. It built. We built it within QVC. It was an incredible experience. And so, you know, selling that business, a lot of people ask me, like, how did you know when it was the right time to sell? Mm. And timing is everything when you're selling your company. It's like, almost like when you get married. Like, it's just timing is everything. Like, you can meet the right person at the wrong point in your Mm -hmm. life, and then you don't get married. And then you can meet the totally wrong person at the time in your life where you want to get married. So things kind of all go by the wayside based on timing. And I feel like the timing for me was really exciting. We had built, we had scaled, we were continuing to scale. I needed a bigger partner and a bigger platform to grow that business, Mm -hmm. and it was the right time to do it. So that process was very challenging, very difficult. It's hard to let go of something that you've built and just call it a day. But at the same time, it's really exciting to see the fruition of doing that, going through that process and negotiating it. So that was a great learning experience for me. I love that. So let's talk about money, finance, advice. What are some of the biggest mistakes you see startups make or some of the biggest money mistakes that you've made? So I think the root of a lot of companies making mistakes is money. Mm. Some people overinvest, other people underinvest, and that leads to business failure. I've seen people raise money, hire tons of people, and then end up firing them because they overhired. Mm-hmm. And they oh, don't build it and they will come mentality because that doesn't work. You don't like build a big building to hope that you're going to have the business to fill it. Like you actually should do the reverse. You should be in a certain amount of pain until you're ready to hire the next person. So the way I look at hiring is that you know, hire slowly and very like thoughtfully to bring the right people onto your organization. But when people are actually not a fit, then move on from that very quickly. Yeah, I totally agree. Slow to hire, quick to fire. I think that's such great advice. I think a lot of entrepreneurship comes with risk taking. You've obviously taken a lot of risks with the different companies you've started. What are some of the most pivotal risks you've taken or decisions you've made and how did it change your path? Oh, God, I've made a lot of risks. I think launching a business is a risk. And I think that the way I've looked at risks is that, like, they're calculated. So mm-hmm. I'm always launching newness at Wander. And at Wander Beauty, we're, like, we just launched Hair and Body. So we launched All Inclusive and Scenic Root. It's been amazing for us to launch into a category that's we're a prestige brand that's typically penetrated at the mass level. People are buying their hair and body at the drugstore. And by the way, so am I. So I get it. Um, but these formulas are really unique, different. They're vegan. They're cruelty-free. They're gluten-free. Like my kids can use them. I can use them. My husband can use them. They have universal appeal. And like these serve a purpose in the market. So I think that 
whenever I'm taking a risk, I'm always thinking like, am I innovating or am I imitating? And when I'm truly innovating, I feel more confidence in taking the risk because I'm like, it's worth it. And what's the worst thing that happens? I fail. There's nothing wrong with failing. Failing is not failing. It's learning. And that's how you have to recode your memory and your brain as you become an entrepreneur. It's experimenting. You're always test, learn, iterate, build, test, learn, iterate, build. And so newness drives sales in a company Mm. and it gives you that spike in sales. But ultimately you always have to have a lens to build your core. So our core, our Wanderlust Powder Foundation, our Unlashed Volume of Curl Mascara, products that people come back for every 30, 60, 90 days, the core drives profit. Newness drives sales. And you've won over 30 beauty awards in just four years, including five Allure Best of Beauty Awards, not to mention you're a favorite of people like Heidi Klum, Sarah Jessica Parker. So no big deal. Tell us a little bit about what you attribute that success to. Because I think like many brands have been working on that. There's decade-long brands, you know, the Estes, the this, that. You're a new brand. You've penetrated the market. You've done really smart marketing. You have really big, you know, celebrity fans. What has been the strategy there? The biggest strategy is that we focus on solving problems for real women in the context of their real lives. And that's literally the magic. It sounds so basic, but that's it. We live in an industry in beauty where people are pushing product to you. They're selling you 10 steps for your skin, 15 steps for your makeup, a cream for your left elbow. Like, I don't need a cream for my left elbow. Thank you very much. I don't need to be marketed and told me that told that this ingredient is a wonder ingredient and it actually has 0.000001% of it is in the formula. So I think that being totally transparent and honest with the consumer and studying their behavior, understanding real women in the context of their real lives. Like when we were creating our foundation, it was so interesting because women have incredible passion for their foundation. They're like, when I want foundation, I want coverage. I want to cover H spots, sunspots, hyperpigmentation, rosacea, blue veins. Like I want total coverage, but I want it to feel like nothing. (laughs) I want it to cover everything and feel like nothing, which is hard, right? We worked with a chemist for over two years to achieve that um, and make it a skin-loving ingredient uh, formula, which was hard about it was that that comes in a glass bottle and people have their favorite. It's in a glass bottle. You can't go anywhere with it. Like who's taking their foundation bottle to the gym with them? Who's taking it on a trip? It shatters on a plane. It's a hot mess in your suitcase. So we innovated in the formula. We innovated in the ingredients, put niacinamide, put all these great skin-loving ingredients and vitamins in the formula. And then we innovated in the component. We made it in a tube and we put it with a doe foot applicator so you didn't need a tool. You don't need a brush. You don't need a sponge. So innovate in the formula, innovate in the ingredients, innovate in the packaging, innovate in the delivery system, innovate 360 or don't do it. Mm. And so because people can't get that experience from any other brand, they come to Wander Beauty for it. So when you want that nude illusion foundation experience of, I can use it as a concealer, I can use it as a foundation, I can use it as a tinted moisturizer, I can use it in the back of a car, I can use it at my desk at work, I can take it to the gym, I can take it on a weekend trip away with my boyfriend. That allows you the opportunity to really capture the heart of the consumer and have them keep coming back because they can't get that experience with another brand. So solve a problem in someone's life, create a unique and interesting way in which you do it and keep them in mind every step of the way. It was like we surveyed hundreds of people. Like responder number 43 was like, I need an applicator built into the foundation because I don't, like, I can't take a brush with me. It's not sanitary. A sponge is not sanitary. Like, I want it to be antimicrobial at the tip so that I'm not getting bacteria in and out of a tube. Like, just so many, everyone gave us advice. And when you listen, and that's such an important 
principle of running a company is that you have two ears and one mouth. So as a brand, listen more and then talk less. Such incredible advice. So back to money. So like you, angel investor, you have multiple companies that you've talked, advised, done all these things. When it comes to raising money, what are three things or three crucial tips when it comes to a pitch deck, going into the meeting, raising money, and pressing venture capitalists? Like, what are the three things any small business owner, entrepreneur needs to know when they're walking into that room to raise money? I think it's really important for you to speak to the market opportunity. Like, why are you going into this market? Is it a saturated market? Is it not? Number two, why are you different? How are you innovating? How are you different? How are you not imitating? So that's like, what is your point of differentiation? That's the second piece of the pitch deck. Page three and section three is how much money do you need and why? What are you going to spend it on? That section needs to be there in the pitch deck up front. So what's the market? Why are you different? What's your point of difference? Like what money do you need and what are you going to spend it on? So you have negotiated a ton of deals. You're on the investment side, you're on the sell side, buy side. Women, I think oftentimes, and it's something that we've learned a lot at Crane Cultivate, don't feel confident when it comes to negotiating, asking for money for a raise, whether they're raising money, asking for a raise at their job. You are very secure in talking about money. What tips do you have for women that are struggling to, you know, kind of fight for what they deserve or go in and ask for what they want? I think it's really important to study other people. So when I took that first job in investment banking, we talked about it. I was a sponge. I was working in this male-dominated industry with these alpha males, and they were just advocating for themselves and negotiating these big deals. And I studied their behavior, and I learned a lot. And I've been a fly on the wall in a lot of big rooms where big decisions have been made. And I think that ultimately you have to cultivate your own style. You have to be you. Don't be anyone else. Don't take anyone else's style. Be you. So me, my introverted person that I grew up like hiding in the kitchen, cooking <laughs> when my parents entertained and didn't want to like socialize with anyone, developed my own skills over time by learning and studying. So it's like learn from the greats and you will become a great. It's like, you know, that is really what it is. I think that's such great advice. If you could go back to the beginning of your career journey with everything you've learned, all the companies you've started, what would you tell yourself? What advice would you give yourself? Trust your gut. Mm-hmm. I really feel like I second-guessed myself in the early days because I didn't have conviction mm-hmm. that what I felt in my bones was the right thing. And now as I've become a more seasoned entrepreneur and I've made tons of mistakes across every area of the business you could ever imagine, I now have a lot more conviction to when something doesn't feel right to me. I just don't do it. Okay, we're going to do some rapid-fire sentence finishers. Okay, rapid-fire. Let me go. <laughs> I'm the most productive when... It's late at night. Everyone's asleep. I'm alone with my computer and my thoughts. My biggest professional regret is... Accepting racism and sexism in the workplace and not advocating for myself and doing anything about it. I mean, all of us. It's crazy. My biggest career crush is... Deepak Chopra. He Mm. took something that he was passionate about in his personal life and turned into a platform to make people's lives better. My success mantra is... Failure is not an option. The last time I felt fear was? Yesterday, someone hacked into my AT&T account <laughs> and actually stole my phone number. No. Yeah, and my oh. phone number got stolen and I just got it ported back today. It's been actually two days that I've been struggling to get my phone number back, but I got my phone number back. I didn't even know that was a thing that someone you could do. stole my phone number and ported it 
from AT&T to Verizon. Right. And, you know, that's fear. Fear is being disconnected. scared. Yeah. Disconnected from my Especially two children kids, when I'm yeah, traveling. A hundred percent. The three traits I look for in an employee are? Intelligence. I think that smart people figure out how to do everything. And I think in the early stages of a startup, you're wearing lots of hats. And so you just need people with raw intelligence to figure out how to get stuff done. Um, number two is curiosity. I fancy myself as being very intellectually curious. And I think that it's a hallmark of success when you're curious and you ask questions. And then I would say the third piece is just team player. Mm. Um, when I got hired at Goldman Sachs, they told me there's no I in Goldman Sachs. The same way there's no I in Conceptico and there's no I in Wonder Beauty. I love it. Well, you are such a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for having me. Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I wish I knew during my early years as an entrepreneur. The ups, the downs, the things I learned, and the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty-gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.